The power to tax is the power to destroy. So said Chief Justice John Marshall from the founding period. Also, Daniel Webster, a generation later, echoed the same thoughts. The power to tax is the power to destroy. We're looking at income tax. We're looking at the taxation power of the government, the 16th Amendment, the Constitution. That's what we're going to examine today for just a few moments. Now, one of the things that I wanted to use to start off the program is thinking about a statement that was made by Chuck Todd, no less, NBC News commentator, anchor man, and his interview with Byron Donalds, who is a representative in the state of Florida. And Chuck Todd made a comment regarding taxes, and they were discussing, actually, the 87,000 new IRS agents that the Biden administration has hired in order to comb through and to grab everybody's money that is not really paying their fair share, as they want to say. And so Chuck Todd makes the statement to Byron Donalds, and he says, well, he says, if you're not, if you have nothing to hide, if you're not hiding anything, then what, what, what harm is there in having the IRS comb through all your records? If you're not hiding anything, why, then why would you even object to having such a strong or strengthened IRS? And I thought when I heard that, I thought, wow, we, we have come a million miles regarding taxation. That just... That is the mindset of slavery right there. That's the mindset of slavery. And we'll talk about how that's the case in just a few moments as we, as we expand on this particular concept. Just thinking back to the, the Constitution period and actually the war for independence, think about this, that one of the primary motivations for the war for independence was this taxing power, this all-powerful taxing power that the British government had. And they would come into the dockyards, for example, at Boston. They would comb through all the goodies. They would go through all of their warehouses, and they would look in all of the ships, and they were just searching for something by which they might accuse them at the, at the bar of law. And so they would comb through all of their goods. They would search their houses, their warehouses, their ships, their carriages, and they would just have open-ended search warrants. And that's what they were, open-ended search warrants. And so our founding fathers put into place the Fourth Amendment. And the Fourth Amendment is that we are to be secure in our goods. We're to be secure in our possessions, our homes, our papers, our personal effects. Secure, that is, the government does not have the right to come calming through to find something that they might be able to use to accuse you of violating the law. But the Chuck Todds of the world who have, of course, come of age because they say, well, the IRS has all of these new agents and they have this aggressive power to coerce and to comb through and to find something. And if you, if you really are not violating the law, then what, what objection would you have to it? And that's how Chuck Todd handled it. I tell you what, the founders answered that pretty clearly. And the Fourth Amendment, of course, is nothing but birdcage liner to all these modernists, such as the Chuck Todds of the world. Well, I say all of that introducing the, the ideas that I want to talk about regarding the income tax and the 16th Amendment, and specifically a court case that was just decided May 18th. May 18th, it was Polselli versus the IRS. 
And basically, the case tells us that the IRS does not get, need to give prior notice before they search through your papers, your effects, your bank records in this case. And not only so, but third parties, that is parties that are, that are innocent, that are not under investigation, their goods, their bank records might also be searched by the IRS in order to, in order to find, it's just a dragnet, to find something against the principle that they're actually trying to take to law. So that's what this Polselli versus IRS is all about. So let's think about it just a little bit more. The IRS claims that Remo Polselli, he owes $2 million in assessed taxes and penalties, and they issued summonses without notice seeking financial records from the banks. Let's stop here for a moment. What is a summons by the IRS? Well, it's simply an administrative demand. Our founding fathers said, if there is suspicion of violation of law, then the officials in government, that is, or in law enforcement, must go to a judge, and they must be able to present enough evidence that you have violated law in order that they might issue, the judge has to issue, a warrant that they might be able to search. So that's exactly how the founders set it up in order to protect the rights of citizens against such things as we're looking at right here, summonses by the IRS. Well, the summons of the IRS is simply an administrative demand that they, that you turn over your bank records, your whatever records you might have, your personal effects, any kind of record keeping and books that you have in order that they might see whether or not you have violated law or not. No, just stop for a moment and let's back up and think about this. This puts you as the subject of an investigation. That puts you really in a defensive position. We've lost the concept here that you're innocent until proven guilty because now the IRS is telling you no, you have to turn over all your records. We're going to go find it. And not only so, but according to this recent court case, the Supreme Court case, which was, by the way, decided 9-0, to zero, Polselli versus IRS, those people who are associated with you, also their records are suspect as well, even without prior notice. That is, they don't have to tell you that they're looking through your records and the banks are complying with it. This is this is completely anti-constitutional, anti-Fourth Amendment, and anti-freedom. Well, the IRS really cannot enforce summons. Some people in tax services say just give them what they need and then go your own way. But be that as it may, this case, Polselli versus IRS, was not brought by Remo Polselli. It was brought by the petitioner, actually. It was Hannah Polselli, his wife, her former wife, and she claims that Without prior notice, the IRS was combing through her records and bringing them also. And they were going through there and trying to find out whether or not she had violated or if she had something to do with his violation of the law regarding paying of the taxes. So <clears throat> what do we have here? This is, this is how Katanji Jackson wrote it. She said, Congress has recognized that there might be situations, particularly in the collection context, where providing notice could frustrate the IRS's ability to effectively administer the tax laws. All right, so what she's saying, basically, we're not going to give prior notice. 
We're not going to tell you. We're not going to give you the heads up. We're not going to go to a judge and get a, get a warrant to search through your bank records. And we're not going to even give you the heads up of the prior notice because, after all, that might give you an opportunity to move your goods around or the monies that we want to search through in your records. Now, think about that for a moment. How would that have gone over with the founding fathers who framed the Fourth Amendment to protect you from this very onerous practice of the IRS? You know very well they would not have agreed to that. And that's exactly, however, what is taking place right now. And so with nine to zero as the decision, this particular court case was decided. And it is, once again, a death knell to the Fourth Amendment. I've pointed out before, matter of fact, we've had on the radio program right here in the past, we've had John Whitehead, who is who is from the, uh, the president of the Rutherford Law Institute. He tells us basically that the Fourth Amendment is dead. We don't have a Fourth Amendment protective custody any longer that is provided by the Bill of Rights. We just don't have it because the government refuses to recognize it, period. And this is exactly what this court case also shows us. As a matter of fact, one of the attorneys makes a statement regarding this. And this is, a, this is an attorney that was for the Polselli family. He made a comment, Paul Sherman, he said, he's from the Council for the Institute for Justice, nonprofit public interest law firm. He expressed alarm at the new ruling. And he, they, his group filed a friend of the court brief in support of Polselli. Now, here's his statement. The Supreme Court's ruling grants the IRS startlingly broad authority to pry into the financial records of people who may only remotely be connected to a delinquent taxpayer. That ruling raises serious Fourth Amendment concerns. Well, exactly so. Not only does it raise Fourth Amendment concerns, it actually puts a stake right through the heart of the Fourth Amendment. That's what's happening in America. And it's an over-aggressive IRS. But that's the very nature of it, as we're going to see in the next segment. So to the Chuck Todds of the world who think, hey, if you don't have anything to hide, then why do you object to people combing through your goods? That's absolutely stunning to think that, okay, just let, just let the law enforcement, let the sheriff's office come comb through his house, comb through, comb through his papers, comb through everything he has, all his financial records, just to go find something. You know what, IRS agents, and we're going to talk about this as we proceed here, IRS agents, even commissioners of the IRS has basically stated that they will find something if they want to because the IRS laws are so onerous, so voluminous, so, so many laws that people violate the laws all the time, even if, even if they don't intend to do so because there's so many minutiae in the laws. Well, we'll be back in just a moment. Now, you might find Patriotic Pulpit on Amazon Music app. You can get that on your computer, on your phone. It's the Amazon Music, and you can find Patriotic Pulpit there. You can also find it on other apps as well. Uh, we have it on Spotify, so you can go to Spotify or Amazon Music, and there you find the show called Patriotic Pulpit. Not only so, but I write articles relating to these and other topics constitutional topics or political topics, religious topics, and you can find those on News Talk 1290 website. That's News Talk 1290. I also have many articles and sermons I preach in the Iowa Park Church of Christ, and you can find 
at the iowaparkclc.org. My sermons, my articles, you can find uh, all kinds of things that are there as well as the radio show. So that's how you get in touch with what I'm doing. Now, I do have a website still. It's American Liberty with Bill Lockwood, and you can go to a donate button and donate to the program if you so desire. So that's how you get in touch with me. That's you can help me out. That's how you can help this program out. All right, let's talk about for a few moments regarding the founder's view of taxation. It was kind of interesting. We talked about this recent case that we were talking about regarding the Supreme Court, Polselli versus the IRS, and it was decided May 18th, and it just, it just reinforced, and it was a great big win for the Biden administration who wants this aggressive tax power for the IRS, 87,000 new agents to comb through everybody's personal effects and find how they're violating or possibly violating the law. Now, you might be interested to know, but this, this was the very catalyst, one of the very catalysts that set off the Revolutionary War, the War for Independence, because King George came to the shores of America searching everybody's goods all the time and just with an onerous tax policy. And the founder said, you know what, we don't want any of this kind of stuff because that's, that's really a slavery is what it is. It's just equals to slavery. Well, because of that, the first government that they constructed was the Articles of Confederation. Do you know the Articles of Confederation, they did not even give taxing power to the federal government at all. Zero. None. They were so afraid of the government aggrandizing power to itself and growing larger and larger and able to, able to really basically enslave people through its taxation powers that they refused to give the federal government that power whatsoever. However, George Washington, it was almost, almost a losing proposition in the war because they could not tax the states, that is the articles, the federal government, the weak government that we had could not ta- tax the states. And so Washington's army was languishing on the field. They, did, they lacked all the supplies they needed. Consequently, after the war, they came up with a constitution and they they realized they had to give just a little bit more authority to a federal government to tax, but they were still so wary of a federal government's power that they put right into the Constitution in Article 1 and Section 2, direct taxes shall be apportioned among the several states according to the respective numbers. And then Article 1, Section 9, no capitation tax, that it would be a tax of so much per person regardless of circumstances, or other direct tax shall be laid except in proportion to the census or other enumeration herein before directed to be taken. That is to say simply that they, were not, they did not want any direct taxation upon people and they would be apportioned among the states, just like the states would have apportioned the representatives according to population. So also it would be the, to the states and to the states as far as taxation is concerned, it would be apportioned according to population. So there was no direct tax to an individual. It was simply to a state according to population. So, for example, the state of New York, more populous than the state, for example, of Delaware, would have apportioned their taxes more so than they would in Delaware and so forth. So also today, that's the way it was done. And they were so afraid of these direct taxes. So they 
They made it illegal to have direct taxes. They wanted indirect taxes. They did allow, of course, the contingency that in fighting a war that there might be an exception to this, and they, they realized that in fighting a war we might have to have some direct taxes, but it was only in those certain exigencies, as they would put it. So that's how they did it. So let's talk about how the founders, what the founders thought about taxation, and they came up with certain lessons. Number one, just to tax the states would be impractical, since the only way to enforce that would be to send an army into the state to get the money out of the states. So that would be impractical. And then, then number two, there's a difference between direct and indirect taxes. Direct taxes are levied on persons or property must be paid by the individual. That's what they did not want. Individual, or rather I should say indirect taxes are levied on things and are paid indirectly by those that uh, collect the taxes on the goods that they are that are being sold. So if you go to the store, you buy something, you pay a tax that way. That would be an indirect tax. Number three, it was felt that the federal government's limited roles would be supported entirely by tariffs on imports. Number four, it was recognized, as we mentioned a moment ago, that in an emergency such as war, there would be less imports upon which to collect tariffs. Not only so, but the demand for money would necessarily increase because we would be fighting a war. For, so for this reason, the founders provided a way to tax the people directly only in dire emergencies. So those are the lessons that the founders learned. However, we cast that out with the passage of the 16th Amendment in 1913. By the way, Woodrow Wilson wanted to get socialistic ideas and they wanted direct taxes, and so they wanted the foot in the door, and they did so with the 16th Amendment. So let's talk about the 16th Amendment for just a few moments. The most damaging aspect of the 16th Amendment is the fact that it vitiated the unalienable rights provided by the Fourth Amendment. This is the amendment that protects privacy, Fourth Amendment, privacy of home, privacy of your business, privacy of your personal papers, your personal affairs, the bank accounts of the private citizen. None of these are to be disturbed by a poll tax because it is so much per person regardless of the circumstances. But when tax is based on income, how much money you make, what do you think is going to happen? Well, just think about it for a moment. And what, what will happen if now we say instead of just, okay, it's so much per person, what is going to happen based upon your income? We're going to come to what a statement is made by T. Coleman Andrews, who was the commissioner of the IRS in a moment. He tells us very plainly, it makes liars of all of us because what happens, obviously, we're going to tax you based upon how much money you make, then you're going to be tempted and pressured and pushed to record less money than you have really made and to, and to try to find loopholes and get out of paying the taxes. That's exactly what's going to happen. So the IRS has the unpleasant task of making certain everyone pays, as Obama loves to say, his fair share, and Biden copies him with a copycat, his fair share. Well, who knows what the fair share is because people now hide their money in tax-exempt foundations, and the most wealthy persons in America from 1913, by the way, even before that amendment was passed, they saw what was coming, and wealthy businessmen 
people who owned industries and businesses and companies, they hid their money into tax-sheltered brackets. That's what they did. So it fell upon the middle class once again. So what's wrong with all of this picture? Well, there's several things that are wrong with it. Worst of all, it puts the government in the aggressive role or the aggressor role to be a tax collector and intimidates citizens who are unlucky enough to be audited with the feeling that they're victims of an unfair system. And that's exactly what takes place, that the government now is in the aggressor role and the citizen is in the defensive role. That changed the relationship to government entirely. I don't care what Chuck Todd says. Chuck Todd said, what, 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 what do you have to hide? Well, you know what? If the government's in the aggressor role and they don't like your conservative stance, Chuck Todd has nothing to worry about there. They don't like your conservative stance, then look out. Representative George Hansen of Idaho found that out several years ago. We've talked about him on the program. The IRS went after him. They, they harassed him, and he write a, writes a book about it called To Harass Our People, and that's what happened to him. So that's one thing. Furthermore, the IRS finds it difficult to avoid the attitude that each taxpayer is a cheat, even a criminal that somehow must be caught, must be found out, cornered, and we must corner that person, and then we must catch him. And so that brings the entire structure of the entire income tax collection system into question. So think about the tactics that are being used. I want to read now to you a statement. This is from T. Coleman Andrews, and he served as the IRS commissioner in the 1950s, no less, for three years. This is a lengthy statement, but I want you to hear carefully what he has to say. Then I want you to reflect on what we've looked at regarding the Polselli decision that was made May 18th against the Polselli family. This is T. Coleman Andrews. Congress, in implementing the 16th Amendment, went beyond merely enacting an income tax law and repealed Article 4 of the Bill of Rights, that's what we've been talking about here, by empowering the tax collector to do the very thing from which that article says we were to be secure. It opened up our homes, our papers, our effects to the prying eyes of government agents and set the stage for searches of our books, our vaults, for inquiries into our private affairs whenever the tax men might decide, even though there might not be any justification beyond mere cynical suspicion. That's right. You paid your taxes this year. You're going and you go and open up your warehouse. Remember the founding fathers, the ships that were coming into Boston? You just open up your warehouse. You open up all your crates. You open up your ships. You open up your houses. You open up your carriages, your suitcases, your bags, your, your bank accounts. You open it all up and you show, here's every penny I made and here, What's happening here? You're in the defensive position. That's exactly why this is all wrong. The income tax, Coleman Andrews continues, is bad because it has robbed you and me of the guarantee of privacy and the respect for our property that were given to us by Article 4 of the Bill of Rights. This invasion is absolute, complete, as far as the amount of tax that can be assessed is concerned. Please remember that under the 16th Amendment, Congress can take 100% of our income any time it wants to do it. Now, I'm going to read that statement by Coleman Andrews again. Remember this, he said, under the 16th Amendment, Congress can take 100% of your income any time it wants to do it. 
Does that sound like freedom to you? It doesn't even smell like freedom, does it? As a matter of fact, right now, it is imposing a tax as high as 91%. That was Andrew's writing in 1954. This is downright confiscation, cannot be defended on any other grounds. Continuing, the income tax is bad because it was conceived in class hatred, is an instrument of vengeance and plays right into the hands of the communists. Now, class hatred, where does that come from? Oh, right. That's Karl Marx. See, Karl Marx is being followed by our government right now with the IRS code. And the 16th Amendment was what exactly Karl Marx called for so many years ago. And we followed Karl Marx. That's what Woodrow Wilson was about, not following the founding fathers at all. Andrews here points that out to be the case. He tells us the income tax is fulfilling the Marxist prophecy that the surest way to destroy a capitalist society is by steeply graduated taxes on income and heavy levies upon the estates of people when they die. That, of course, is the death tax. People become what? They become slaves of government. And that's where we are today. We'll be back in a moment. One of the worst elements of the 16th Amendment and the creation of the IRS is that it has become a tool in the hands of liberals and socialists who are in charge of our government and has been used for many years to purge patriots, to harass patriots, to harass patriotic people and citizens. And this is going on right now during Obama's period. Remember Lois Lerner, IRS commissioner, she would talk to and what was right in front of Congress, they were harassing tea parties, tea parties no less, because they didn't want to give them tax-exempt status. Well, there are a lot of other cases like that. We don't have time to get into it, but federal court, matter of fact, the federal courts and judges slammed the IRS because targeting tea parties. That was from 2016. And the same thing is going on right now. So Let's just back up for a moment and see. This is not new. This is not something that's brand new that that Joe Biden has come up with, that Barack Obama came up with. No, this is something that reaches way back, as we mentioned T. Coleman Andrews, but this goes back even further than that. This goes back into FDR's period. And I want to talk about Franklin Roosevelt and the patriotic purge that he had utilized in the IRS to harass citizens. So the year is 1940. In the Oval Office, Martin Dyes, who is a congressman from the great state of Texas, is meeting with FDR. And FDR's goal here in this Oval Office meeting is to try to get Martin Dyes to call off investigation into communist activities in the United States. Now, that's remarkable. Martin Dyes was the chairman of the House Committee on Un-American Activities. Martin Dyes had taken that position, and he was now puzzled because FDR had earlier encouraged Dyes to take the post, but that was when they were investigating pro-Nazi groups. There were pro-Nazi groups in America, and FDR wanted them to be investigated, and so the House Committee on Un-American Activities would investigate these Nazi groups. But now, these, these pro-Nazi groups, un-American and anti-American, to be sure, now Dyes also said, let's 
you know, we need to expand this because we see that communists, there are many communist cell organizations set up in America, anti-America and anti-American in their color, anti-American in their allegiance, and their goal was to take down America. So he said, you know what? We need to also investigate communists. So that's why FDR calls him to the office, that is the, the Oval Office. What happened was in 1933, FDR set up what was called the Brain Trust. And there were many pro-Soviet, many pro-communist foreign nationals that were coming into America with his Brain Trust because in his Brain Trust, he had people who were pro-Soviet, which was communist nation, pro-Soviet nation, a pro-Soviet people that were working in the government. And they were close to FDR. They were friends of FDR. And they were even on his cabinet for crying out loud. And, and Martin Dyes started investigating pro-communists. Well, that got FDR upset. And so he calls Dyes into the office. Let's back up also to 1935. Martin Dyes had introduced a measure into the House of Representatives to deport communists out of the country. And it passed in the House of Representatives, but they were friendly. They were pro-communist, pro-Soviet, Democrats in the Congress. That, now, we're talking 1935 that killed the bill. They said, no way. We're not going to have deportation of communists in America. Martin Dyes incidentally recognized the truth of the matter, which many people today, even in the, the world of academia, do not understand that Nazism, fascism, and communism are all bedfellows. They're all totalitarian-minded systems that are overpowerful governments, and that's what they wanted. Well, all three are alien to our nation's founding philosophy, which is that Americanism is the recognition of the truth that the inherent and fundamental rights that we have come from God. And these fundamental rights are only protected. That's the role of the government is simply to protect the rights that God gave us. Rights do not come from government. They come from God. They don't come from government. They don't come from societies. They don't come from dictators. They don't come from kings. They don't come from majority rule. They come from God. And Martin Dyes understood that. Communists said, no, they don't come from God. We don't believe in God. They come from government, and their goal was to take America down. So Dyes included communism and communists in his House Committee on Un-American Activities. FDR, however, now is determined to protect communists in his government. And so he browbeat Martin Dyes in this 1940 Oval Office meeting. He browbeat him for excessive concerns about communists. And this is from Martin Dyes' own biography, and he writes this. He said, the president was furious. I was surprised at his anger. He called me Mr. Congressman. He had called me Martin before, but now, Mr. Congressman, you must see a bugaboo under every bed. <laughs> you know, it's kind of interesting. You hear the same, you hear the same salacious statement from pro-communist, pro-socialistic news reporters, professors today. They say, you see a communist under every bed. Dyes responded, no, I never look under the bed. He said, well, here's what FDR continues. I've never seen a man that has such exaggerated ideas. 
I do not believe in communism any more than you do, but there's nothing wrong with a communist in this country. Several of the best friends I have are communists. So said FDR. And he himself had some friendly communists, that is communists that were his friends, right in his own government. Harry Dexter White, Secretary of State, was one of them. Alger Hiss was another one, convicted in court later of being pro-communist. And he was instrumental in setting up the United Nations. Oh, now you know the rest of the story. Well, FDR decided. Didn't, couldn't get Martin Dyes to back off. So he not only mocked Martin Dyes to the press, but he had the IRS subject him to an audit. Now, you see, this is what we're getting at the whole while here. The IRS became a tool in the hands of FDR to audit that is, harass Martin Dyes. Dyes was even offered the vice presidency if he would call off the investigation. You know, if someone offered that to you, you would think, well, okay, there's something, something to be hidden here. So, finally, in 1945, Martin Dyes, tired of the harassment, resigned his position, and that is from the House Committee on Un-American Activities. 1952. Joseph McCarthy takes the reins of the House Committee on American Activities. And Dyes warned him. He said, I tell you what, you are, you're going in an uphill battle here because even the President of the United States, friendly with these communists, tells us that he's friends with communists, and you're going to be investigating those. You better look out. Well, we all know what happened. McCarthy, by the way, only investigated those that were tied to the government. There's so much misinformation regarding Joseph McCarthy. He never tried to make it illegal to join the Communist Party. He only investigated those who were connected with the government. But be that as it may, FDR continued with his patriotic purge. Mostly, they came from what was called the America First Movement. One of those was John T. Flynn. John T. Flynn was the, one of the most popular reporters columnist of the time, an author. 1939, however, John T. Flynn criticized FDR in a Yale Law Review. FDR responded, Flynn should be barred from daily papers. Does that sound familiar? You see, the left hasn't changed its colors at all. They don't want free speech. Now they're, of course, doing that on Twitter. They're doing it on Facebook. You see, they're in bed with the government. The government has not changed its colors from the time of FDR. That is, we don't want him to speak at all. Just let, quit letting him talk. Don't publish, his, don't publish his articles. Don't publish his books. And by the way, that's exactly what happened. John T. Flynn found that the entire publishing industry was canceled, canceling him. Couldn't he get his material published? Charles Lindbergh was also of the America First Movement. That is, he was involved in trying to educate America to stay out of World War II because they felt like the America First individuals that FDR was driving us into World War II purposefully. But after Pearl Harbor, Charles Lindbergh volunteered to the military. He was the most famous aviator after all. But FDR gave orders for him to be blocked. And so he couldn't even get on, couldn't get in the cockpit at first, United Aircraft tried to hire him. FDR blocked that too. Does this sound like freedom? No. Now, Charles Lindbergh went on to fly combat missions, but he was smeared by FDR 
and the leftist media and the leftist professorships, even from that time, who were so pro-communist, and even till today, they continue to smear Charles Lindbergh. Well, we'll continue with that in just a moment, back in a moment. FDR's patriotic purge simply continued, not only against people like John T. Flynn, great columnist, a constitutionalist, Charles Lindbergh, a freedom lover, part of the America First movement, but also FDR utilized the ADL. That's the Anti-Defamation League. That's interesting. Now, the Anti-Defamation League, supposedly to fight simply anti-Jewish hate, but they also targeted patriotic groups at the time. Political historian Laird Wilcox points it out. So also does Professor Benjamin Ginsburg of John Hopkins University. And he wrote a book about it called The Fatal Embrace. He tells us in the book that the ADL that was under direction of Franklin Roosevelt employed investigative agents who secretly penetrated isolationist groups as well as anti-Semitic groups to turn over information to the FBI. Now think about that for just a moment. Isolationist groups as well as anti-Semitic groups. Now you might say, well, that's, that's fine to have a group to, to root out anti-Semitism. We're not for anti-Semitic speech or behavior. So the ADL is about that. But they simply cast a broader net than that, didn't they? They cast a broad net. This is a Jewish writer telling us that the ADL also targeted what were called isolationist groups. So what are isolationist groups? Well, let's think about for a moment how the federal government, this government that is trying to drive us into a world government, is setting the table here about the language. Isolationism is that bad term that they use for people who want to put America first. That is such as Donald Trump. Let's make America great again. They say, well, he's an isolationist. The truth of the matter is Donald Trump, as well as Charles Lindbergh of yesteryear, America first, they were America first people. They were not isolationists. They didn't want to isolate themselves from the world. And I don't want to be isolationist. We wanted to have fair trade with all nations of the world and be involved in that way. But we were and I am a non-interventionist. That is, we don't want to intervene continually, such as right now is going on overseas. That's what we're involved right now in Ukraine. What, what are we doing? We don't even know what we're doing over there. We don't know what the goal is. What is it? This We're intervening, and so I'm a non-interventionist. But the left wants to set the table and say, no, you're an isolationist. They want to be, make it sound like it's, you know, you want to, close the doors to, in America and don't be involved in any country anywhere in the world. Well, there were people in America at that time coming up to World War II who were non-intervention to say, you know what, we don't want to get involved in a world war. FDR said, no, you're isolationist. We got to, in order to do this global government, by the way, that was already on the table, that was already what the the League of Nations was all about was to drive us into a world government, the League of Nations, until conservative congressmen said, no, this is too much of a world government, smells like a world government, we don't want it, part of it. And FDR and those globalists, they didn't like that. They said, well, you're, you're, a, you're an isolationist. Well, so when those non-interventionist America First people met, the ADL, FDR sicked them on these non-interventionists. 
It had nothing to do with anti-Jewish material. It had simply to do with people who didn't go along with globalist plans of FDR. FDR ordered the Attorney General Francis Biddle to prosecute journalists who criticized him. He singled them out as traitors. It's amazing. If you opposed FDR, you are singled out as a traitor. Now, the point simply in all of this is that the machinery of government has always been used from the time of the progressive era against conservatives. They have used the IRS to harass. They have used the ADL to harass. They have used the power of the presidency to harass. We've had on this program, for example, Wayne Allen Root out of Las Vegas, Nevada. What a great freedom fighter, Wayne Allen Root. Wayne Allen Root was investigated by the IRS. He's a prominent spokesman for freedom and a good friend of Donald Trump's. But he was investigated by the IRS, and they came up after many years of investigation and hearings and cases, and they came up, and they found out they discovered he was innocent. But do you know what? Almost the very next day, if not the next day, they opened up more investigations against Wayne Allen Root. Obama used the IRS to target Tea Party groups. And now, 87,000 more agents hired by the Biden administration. And what do you think they're after? They're not after the Chuck Todds of the world. <laughs> they're after you and me, the conservatives. They're after people who stand for freedom and want to speak out against the abuses that the federal government has been involved in. That's what's happening. That's what Biden administrations is all about. So we've given you the background. We've given you some history of it. That's the that's the difficulty that we face today. I put these things out simply as principles of freedom. We need to go back to those principles. <laughs> 